Well, we do continue with the story of the woman at the well, and we will finish that up this week. Uh, three parts in there. Um, John just packs it in. We got to walk through it. And last week I began and I talked about a, a skit I had been in in high school on a mission trip, if you remember. And we would go on choir mission trips and we'd do little skits and dramas. And there was one where I was a, the sole actor in the drama and, and I would come from the back of the, the state or from the, the sanctuary and I would come up and I'd be hollering, water, water. And if you remember, I would make my way up to the stage and there would be a two by four with a sign on it that says pump on it. And I would go up to that pump and I'd pretend you know, I was, I, it wasn't a real pump, just a stick. And I would, would pump and pump and pump and nothing was there. And then um, like I told you last week, there was then a, a glass, a jar full of water with a note, and it said, to prime this pump, you have to use all the water that's in this jar. If you drink any of it, you can't prime the pump. You must pour it in, prime that pump, and uh, you'll have plenty of water. And, and I, I made the right choice in the drama, and I poured all the water in and uh, was able to get water and then leave water behind for the next person. And, and we talked about this uh, pump and this woman that comes to the well and um, how she is seeking life. And... And she's seeking it in all the wrong different places. And the Lord Jesus comes and says, hey, I can offer you living water. And I was thinking about that pump. I was thinking about how often just in life we go to so many different things. We try to pump life out of them. And they, they aren't made. God didn't designate, designate these things to give us life. And maybe that might be success in a career. And we try to pump as much out of that as we can. Um, to find success and find life, and we just can go at it like crazy and nothing happens, or it can be in relationships sometimes with, with a spouse or with our kids. We want them to give us life. We want to find significance in them in such a way that we pump them dry and we pump ourselves dry as well, or maybe it be, might be going after um, just things like, like um, a good um, Netflix binge just to pump life, just maybe for a moment, or it can be that of going to to that gallon of ice cream or um, to marijuana or whatever it might be, just, just for the moment, give me life. And we try to pump life out of that thing that was never meant to give us life. And we end up wearied. We end up um, still grasping at things that will never give us life. And we see that in this story. Remember, there's a woman who's come to the well at the heat of the day most likely indicating that uh, she was avoiding the crowds where the women would come in the cool of the day and they'd come together. And um, Jesus even pulled that curtain back that we saw last week on her life and her sin and, and let her know that he knew that um, she'd had five husbands and the man she was with was not her husband. And, and she's wearied. Remember, Jesus, he, he's on this journey as well, going from Judea to Galilee and and instead of going the long way around Samaria, remember they, the Jews and Samaritans, they did not get along. They despised each other. They separated from each other. But it says that um, Jesus, they had to go through Samaria. He had something to do. And he gets to that well, and he's wearied from the long travel. But he is there to speak to that woman who is even more wearied in life. And he offers her this living water. And our story ends where we picked up reading earlier where Grace read, where the woman begins to see, I, I believe, that there's something unique about Jesus, and 
And she says, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He'll make all these things clear. And Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. I am. And he reveals this to her. He's already offered her living water. And he's saying, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the one you guys have been longing for. I am here. And that brings us to this story today, the point in the story. And we, we think of this woman who's now met Jesus, and we see that her life has changed. We see things that she does and things that Jesus teaches. And for us, there's great instruction for when we meet Jesus. What do we do? How has our life changed? What should happen? And we see this initial thing in the, the life of this woman um, that she goes Verse 27 through 28, it says, Just then his disciples, Jesus' disciples, come back, came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, Who do you, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see. So here, this conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, uh, it's interrupted a bit. The disciples come back. If you remember, the disciples, they have gone into town to get food, and now they're on their way back from running errands into town. And I can just imagine, I have this picture in my head of the disciples walking up to the well. They're, they're coming back from town, and maybe they could see off from a distance. They could see the well, and, and someone sees Jesus, and they're like, Who's he talking with? Another disciple says, I can't see. John, can you see? And John, John says, well, I think it's a woman. He's talking to a woman. They're like, what? Why is he talking to a woman? And then John's like, it's surely, it's a Samaritan woman. And they're like, what? Are you sure? You're sure? Yes, I'm sure. I said, why? Why is he doing that? Doesn't he know that? That's just not done. Um, they might have even been like, why is, he, why is he wasting his time with that? And that would have been the idea in that time, that there would not have been that respect of a rabbi even speaking to a woman. He's, they might have been just utterly confused. And they might have asked, well, should we ask? Should we ask what's going on? Well, no, 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 we, we, maybe not. It, this is Jesus. Um, there's no one quite like him. Maybe they're thinking, I don't know. We spend enough time with him to know that Jesus does things that we wouldn't expect so maybe that's what they're thinking, or maybe, I don't know, maybe there wasn't any spiritual background of them thinking, well, Jesus is, we know he's doing, uh, doing unusual things, or maybe they were just like, I am so confused and stunned, let's just not say anything. We don't know. But Jesus, although the disciples are surprised, Jesus, he's not surprised. He's not surprised by their questioning, I'm sure. He's not surprised by their arrival on the scene either. Jesus is teaching. He's teaching. He's speaking to the woman and teaching her and offering living water, but he's teaching the disciples too. He's crossing boundaries with the good news as he speaks to her, and he's teaching as he brings the gospels to this woman. There's discipleship that's happening even in this moment as the disciples come up, and we see throughout the life of Jesus that he will teach them, and he teaches both men and women. We see the crowds that are surrounding him, and even when the Gospels describe who is with him, the crowds, there's both the disciples, the men that are with him, and then the, the disciples that are women that are following along as well and ministering to him. And 
um, we see that Jesus is teaching. And the woman here, she leaves the well. Now her day, her agenda for the day has fully been rewritten. This was not what she expected to encounter as she went to the well. Remember, she went to the well expecting to probably have no one there. And here she encounters Jesus at the well. And I can imagine there was probably some excitement. And with haste, she, she runs back into town and she leaves the water jar behind. And I, I wonder, was it empty? I don't know. Maybe she didn't even have time to fill it, or maybe it was full, and she thought to herself, there's no way I'm going to carry that back into town. i got to get into town now. I need to get there. Well, we don't know exactly, um, but we do know that she goes straight to town, and she begins to tell people about her conversation with Jesus. And it does seem to be a little bit unusual because she did go to the well at a point in the day when she would be avoiding people, and now she doesn't avoid people. She doesn't hold back, and she speaks to anyone who will hear. It seems to be indiscriminately speaking about her encounter with Jesus. So here as we begin, we see this example of the woman that she goes. She goes, and she returns. First, her, her going is to return to her own people, to go back to her city, to a place where the Lord had planted her and give testimony of what she'd heard from Jesus in her encounter and how her life was already beginning to change at this point that she would be willing to go and speak as she's speaking. So she goes. And sometimes the call to go, though, sometimes for us is to go back to where God has planted us, exactly where he's called us, and that might be where we are right now. And sometimes our goal is to relocate. Um, the disciples, they're traveling with Jesus. And uh, for a while they're in Judea, then they're going to go back to Galilee. They're going to be near hometowns. And sometimes that call it to go is to re relocate and cross cultural barriers. And sometimes it's for a season, too, when he calls us. Sometimes he calls us to uh, a new place at a time. And sometimes he calls us back to hometown places, which he, he did for me. And I'm thankful for that. But we're called to go. And we see the example of this woman that goes and indiscriminately speaks about her encounter with Jesus. And then we see the invite. What does she go and tell them? There's an invite to come and see. Verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to Jesus. And that, that in itself, just come and see. Uh, is a good word for us this morning. And we see this invite. Come and see this man, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior. Come and see him. This isn't the first time, if you remember, this isn't the first time in John where we have this invitation to come and see. And the very first person to say, come and see, does anyone remember? Jesus. Jesus said, come and see. In John 1, I know it seems like decades ago when we were in John 1, my bad. Um, so John 1, verses 37 through 39, we have two of the disciples. We have an unnamed, uh, unnamed disciple, probably John, and Andrew, and they were disciples, and they were hanging out with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist points to Jesus and said, it's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So they begin to follow Jesus, and if you remember, they're following along and kind of following Jesus, and Jesus says to them, what are you seeking? 
And they say, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says to them, come and, come and see. Come and you will see. And they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And so they spend that whole evening with him. And then the next day, uh, we have Andrew. He's got to find Peter and say, Peter, we found the Messiah. And then they continue traveling with Jesus. And uh, then Jesus calls Philip to follow him. And Philip spends some time with Jesus. And then in John 1, 45 through 46, Philip then goes and finds Nathanael and says to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then Nathanael says to him, can anything come good come out of Nazareth? Then Philip says, come and see. <laughs> Spend time with Jesus and you will know. Or as the psalmist, Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see. The Lord is good. What a kind calling to come and see. Spend time with Jesus. Be around his people. Dig into his word. Ask him to reveal himself to you in his word. It's called to come and see. And this is such a simple invitation, and we can do that as well. If we have followed Jesus, it's a simple invitation to call people. Just come and see. Come and see. Invite them into your home. Come and see. As we follow Jesus in our household or join us, come and see on a Sunday morning. Come and see. We love Jesus. Come and see. Or maybe it might be, would you be interested to, to read about the life of Jesus? Maybe with someone um, in your workplace. Maybe during lunch or before work or after work. Come and see. So the invite, come and see. And this woman, she, um, at this point, she hasn't become a biblical scholar. Uh, she hasn't gone to, to, she hasn't gone to Sunday school. <laughs> but she says, come and see. In my studies this week, I came a, a, across this uh, word from R.C. Sproul, he said, of this woman. He said, she didn't. She didn't go to them and pronounce that she has suddenly become a righteous woman, a paragon of virtue, and issue a command that, com that communicated, follow her. She simply told people that she had met the Messiah. She knew that she had been redeemed by the encounter, and she wanted anyone in town, or she wanted everyone in town to know it. She just said, come and see. You've got to see this man. So if we've been changed by Jesus too, uh, we have something to share and something to speak, even if it's just come and see. And then we see they went out, the people hear this word, this testimony of this woman, and they go. They want to see who this Jesus is. So her testimony must have been very compelling where they're like, they didn't feel like, ah. I don't want to go out and see a Jew. They hate us. But that's not what they said. They're like, let's go see. So it must have been an effective witness. Even though she had so much to learn. Even though maybe her past was packed full of things that might have seemed like barriers to be a witness. 
Instead, they were, they were bridges for her to share that Jesus had changed her. So there's a call, uh, come and see. And the people hear her, and they begin to go and see Jesus. And then we, we shift a little bit in verse 31, and we, we go back to the disciples. And we see that, the, that Jesus teaches the disciples. He has some things to teach them in the midst of this encounter. And we see this call that to be faithful laborers while trusting God with the harvest, while trusting God for the results. So we go back to the disciples in verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, He has anyone brought him something to eat? So uh, the disciples, apparently they forget really quick about um, the, the woman and what's going on, the immediate circumstances. They're, they're just like, what's most important right now? Lunch, food. It's like, Rabbi, Rabbi, we brought you back food. Please eat. They know they traveled a long way and and as Jesus was waiting at the well, again, it says he's, he was wearied from the travel. So they knew probably that he was weary. And they're like, eat. And Jesus, though, he continually teaches throughout the Gospels. He uses physical things to, to teach spiritual truths. I know I say it a lot. We could probably repeat it together. Um, but he does. And he says, I have food to eat that, that you don't know about. And I can just imagine the disciples' reaction as they're thinking about this. They're like, we went all the way into town? We went all this effort? Did someone bring you food? What, did the, that, that woman, was she bringing food? Did you have it hidden in your robe? What's going on? Ah, maybe they, I, I, I just see looks at one another. What is he talking about? And they're all like, I don't know. <laughs> I do not know. Um, but we see that there's often confusion as we oftentimes, even with what Jesus is doing in our life, sometimes we're like, I don't know. I think of another story in Mark. Um, it's one of my, my favorite ones where it's in Mark 8, and Jesus has already fed the, the 5,000 and the, the 4,000. He's gone to the Jews and the, the Gentiles and, and fed them in abundance, and they're back in the boat, and they're in the boat, and Jesus is teaching. He's teaching them about the leaven. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And he's speaking about spiritual truths. And the disciples start looking to each other. They, they had food on the brain and in the belly. And they're like, they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, being aware of this, said to them, why? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Um, do you not yet perceive and understand are your hearts hardened and do you not remember he's like i fed four thousand and five thousand bread is not an issue <laughs> i can provide um, but we're often that way we're, the lord does things in our life and we're like bread <laughs> like no <laughs> doing other things so so there's some confusion here but then jesus says it to them he says my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work and I can only imagine the look on Jesus' face. I don't think it was that of, of great frustration or disdain upon the disciples. I, I would guess it was more of a teachable, gracious look. Maybe some frustration, maybe a little bit of frustration or shaking of the head, but he wanted to graciously teach them, and he does. And says, my food, my nourishment, or the King James Bible says, um, translate my meat, 
I like that. My meat um, came, comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finishing his work. Again, that, that physical, using the physical to teach spiritual things. Physical food, eating meat and veggies, they bring strength and nourishment to our body. And here Jesus is doing the work of his Father, brings nourishment to the soul. And uh, that's true for us as well. Um, doing what God has called us to, there's nourishment from our, for our soul. There's an avenue of God's grace. And we talk about those conduits of his grace, of, of walking in obedience and reading his word. And there's food for the soul when we do the things God has called us to. And Jesus, he came to preach. He came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. He came to usher in the kingdom, both to Jews and to Gentiles, to the Samaritans and to the Jews as well, and, and all peoples and accounts. And he's doing that work right now. I just shared, I'm bringing the gospel to Samaria. I'm doing the work that I've been called to. And so he came. He came also to endure. He came to endure from sin or such hostility against himself that we might not grow weary and faint-hearted, as Hebrews 12.3 says. And he came to lay down his life for sinners, for us, for the women at the well, for Nicodemus, ones like Nicodemus in chapter 3. Later, Jesus will say in John 10, verse 17, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. And then it speaks about his finished work. Later, John will, or in John, Jesus prays at the end of his life and prays John, in John 17, 4. He says, I glorify you on earth. I glorify you, the Father on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. And then later on the cross, uh, today Nathan read those verses from John 19, John 19.30, where Jesus on the cross, he says, it is finished. And he bows his head and gave up his spirit. So we see Jesus that fully obeyed the will of the Father, even to the cross, dying for us. So this is the food that nourishes me. And then he continues in verse 25 or 35 through 38. It says, Do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So this discussion, Jesus takes his opportunity to teach these things. And he begins to teach about the sowing and reaping, which speak about spiritual things of sowing and reaping. He says, there are four months, then comes the harvest. So this must have been a common proverb that would have been spoken uh, about planting and harvesting. There's a season to plant, and then there, there was a time of waiting in between, and then there was a season to sow, a season to reap, which would make sense, a common of sowing and then waiting and then reaping. But Jesus says here, and uses this for speaking of a spiritual harvest, and a spiritual harvest that's going to come now. There's both reaping and harvesting that are happening simultaneously. This is all coming together right now as Jesus ushers in this unique harvest time and calls his disciples to it. And even as he speaks about this thing going on, he says, lift up your eyes, look. It must have been the crowds from 
the town, the Samaritan town, coming out to Jesus. And he's saying, the spiritual fields, they're ripe. These people from the town, they're coming to see Jesus. The time was now that they were going to be part of a harvest right now as people would believe in him and rest in him and trust in him. And he would pour out on them living water. So the reaping time had arrived. And there's an urgency in this. It's time to do this. The gospel has been preached and Jesus, the good shepherd, knows that there are going to be sheep that are going to respond to his call. And then he begins to talk about the sower and the reaper. One sows and another reaps. Again, speaking about spiritual sowing seeds of the gospel and there being fruit from it. One is reaping and the reaper will receive great reward and great joy that happens when we see one enter into eternal life, one who responds to Jesus and finds new life in him and forgiveness in him and is born again and becomes new creations in such a way like this woman that they go out and share. I've got to share. Jesus has done a work in me. So there's great joy and great reward um, that the reaper and the, the sower receive. I think of Luke 15, 7, where Jesus tells a parable about the good shepherd that leaves the 99 and goes after the one and finds the one, and there's great rejoicing. And Jesus says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So the sower and the reaper, they get a, they're going to rejoice together here as they see the results um, and it's too, with the sower and the reaper, we see that neither job, neither job is greater or more important than the other one. They're both really important things. God calls some to sow and some to reap, but we know that in all of them, that it's the Lord God that brings about the growth. And I can just imagine, um, sometimes, I know for some of us, we, we are called often to, to be sowers of seeds. There have been often times in in my life where I've been called to sow a lot of gospel seeds. Um, our time overseas in China, in our, the, between the four families that were there off and on, we were able to sow so many seeds. I, was, I got to teach English in the university and get to speak about the goodness of the gospel. And the, those kids heard it. They understood. Those students knew. And, and uh, the other um, teammate there who taught, he, he shared with hundreds um, if not thousands of kids over the, over the four or five years of teaching, and then another family that taught in this um, English girls' school, and we just sowed like crazy seeds, and we're confident that one day um, when we get to eternity, we're going to see um, some of the fruit from those seeds. I think you're probably with me in that, that you've sown seeds in, in the different places that you've been and lived and things that God has called us to, and we know that there'll be a day that we will get to see and rejoice together with the sowers and the reapers together of what God has done. In the verse 38, I sent you, I send you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. So the disciples, they're going to be part of this great harvest right now. Um, they get to be able to be those who reap. Um, and they're not the ones who have sown. There's others who have sown. And we don't know for sure exactly. Um, who Jesus is speaking of. It could be that he's even speaking of the, the witness of the prophets and the law of God's word that they've received, the Samaritans have received. But also we know that Jesus sowed the seed of the gospel in the life of the Samaritan woman. And then she goes into town and she's sowing seed like crazy about what Jesus has said. 
And they're going to now um, see and be able to, to reap in that harvest as these people come out. And we see in the reality of this um, that it isn't so much about how great of a harvester they are or how great of um, a seed sower they were. It's all about the Lord doing the work. I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 and 7, where he says, I planted, Apollos watered. I want to say, but who gave the growth? The God. God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So we're reminded uh, that we all take part in the work that God is doing. And he's the great harvester. He's the great growth giver. And then we get to just step in and be a part of that. And sometimes we don't see the fruit, uh, but other times we do. But we need to not be discouraged, but we, are, we rest in the fact that the Lord will, will bring about that fruit. One story I, I think of, uh, maybe you've shared before, but one of the young men I was able to, to disciple in, in China, um, I wasn't the first one to sow a seed in his life. He'd been in an English class in another city, and there was a, a foreign teacher who was a, a missionary there who would share the gospel in class, and that seed was planted. Later, he went to another city, and some other um, national Christians shared with him, and he repented and believed, and then I was able to, to take part in that. And that's how it often works, and we can trust that the Lord is doing the work, but we're called to be faithful, knowing that our, our God will bring about the results. Um, as we are faithful to say, come and see, come and see. And then finally, verses 39 through 42, uh, don't stop. Don't stop pointing others to Jesus who changes everything. We just see this whole town just change. Just imagine being there in the midst of this crowd in that town during that time, being part of this great harvest of people who find the goodness of Jesus. So let me read verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. What a glorious passage, amen? The Spirit of God does this great work in the midst of this Samaritan town. He's opened their eyes through this testimony of this woman who has shared about what Jesus has shared, and they go out to see Jesus. Again, most likely she went up to that well to avoid interaction with others, but she meets Jesus, or maybe better said, Jesus meets her, right? Jesus had an agenda, and he goes after her. He's a good shepherd, and he speaks to her, and she responds. I say, look at this. There's just so much mystery and wonder and grace and mercy found in this story. Uh, it stirs my love and my affection for Jesus as well. So these Samaritans, they come, and they're like, we heard this testimony. They're like, please stay just a, just a little while, and he stays a couple days. And it says um, that they believe. They believe, and it says to the, what is, let me find the verse. And many believe because of his words. 
They hear and they believe the words of Jesus. I think of how Jesus speaks about in Mark, um, that he gives the example of children, that whoever is to receive the kingdom needs to enter in as a child. And it's not saying as a child, as an innocent child, because if you know any children, not so much innocent, right? Uh, But come with humility and need as a child. And these came... uh, with a childlike faith to Jesus, and they hear the words of Jesus, and they follow him. I think of John, how did he begin the gospel? He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we see the light of shining as the Word speaks. He speaks. And I could just imagine that woman must have been just filled with great joy and amazement about what was happening in her life and what was happening in her city. And, and who would have picked this woman to be the Billy Graham of her city? Not me. But she was radically changed and she was called to do that. We never know how God is going to use someone uh, around us or how God is going to use us. We don't know. Um, we might have thought, though, it would have been Nicodemus Um, The Pharisee, the leader, that would have been a good candidate for this job. But no, Jesus picks this woman who had five husbands, and the man she was with was not currently her husband. She knew need. She knew her need for life and for the Messiah. So she responds, and her deepness of need was reflected in her excitement and love for Jesus. And the people saw that, and they went, and they saw they were changed, and they said, we believe, not because of what we heard, but we know we've heard him, we've seen him. He indeed is the Savior of the world. And the disciples must have been just standing back and just amazed. Like, how is this happening? Can you imagine the disciples? They were worried about food just a little bit ago, and now all these people are, are turning to Jesus. The Holy Spirit was moving amongst them unlike they could ever imagine. That's how uh, the Spirit often moves. Remember when we heard Jesus' words to Nicodemus when he spoke about the Spirit of God? Uh, This is from John 3, verse 8. It says, The wind wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He he called Nicodemus to be born again, and that was the work of the Spirit in him. Remember, I, I read a couple quotes from a book um, called, I think it's Help My Unbelief by Barnabas Piper, and he just said this, and I love these words, nobody can systematize or categorize the movement of the Spirit. He moves where he will and stirs the most frozen heart. He brings about belief in the least likely hearts. He raises the deadest soul to life. And then he says, sometimes the Spirit comes in gently and nudges a heart toward God, and other times he grabs the steering wheel of the heart and jerks it into the path of God's oncoming, oncoming grace. And I think this is just a picture of just the Spirit moving in the midst of a people. May we, uh, may we give the, the Holy Spirit a chance to move in the places that, that he has placed us um, in un- unexpected ways. May we pray and ask God to use us to be a light. We know that Jesus says that he shines, currently shines in darkness. The darkness can't overcome it. 
And we pray that he would use us that way. May we be gospel planters as individuals, but as a church as well, gospel planters in our community, these seeds just sown, just little by little, um, that the Lord might use and, and bear fruit from. Uh, even as last week, or I think it was last week, or the week before, where uh, gave you guys, as you came in, um, in your bulletins, the I3 card, just a place to write down just names of people um, that don't know Jesus in your life that you want to share with and pray with. And um, I, I, I forgot to, I neglected to explain that day when we had these and someone's asked me, it has a picture where it has a roof and relationships and routines. And that's kind of the idea of people on our roof, that underneath our roof, maybe immediate family who need Jesus and relationships, those probably our neighborhood and our workplaces and then routines, those who maybe from um, the person at King Supers or whoever we buy our coffee from or whatever it might be. And just thinking through those and writing down some names and maybe you need a couple more. I have I have a few on a table there, and there's some out there. They're kind of like Easter eggs. They're the I3 cards. You can go find them. You can go on I3 Hunt. Make sure you have a couple of these um, in different places. I've already lost one. So I, if you're like me, you need a, a few to be praying and praying that the Lord will move. Or maybe today the Spirit is nudging you to Jesus. Maybe you recognize that you um, are far from Him. And maybe here he's either nudging you today or maybe he's taking that steering wheel and, and driven you uh, here that you might know, know Jesus. And Jesus says, as he teaches, he says, repent and believe. Turn from your sins and yourself and trust in me. May you hear that call today. Maybe he's calling you to rest in him and find new life, to stop going to whatever. You think of that illustration of that pump. What in your life are you trying to pump life out of? That is not giving you what you think it should. <laughs> and may you know that it's Jesus who says, I come to give you living water that you might have eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, your living word that speaks today. We thank you.